We normally only do five minutes, Raj, but you were my instructor at the College of Sports Media. I know you can talk. This is going to be an hour at least. <laughs> I know you can talk too. <laughs> That's very true. Me. I know you can talk too. And yes, they were great days, Chris. You were the all-star student and, and look at you now. So you're a credit to the school, believe me. Uh, checks in the mail. Opie, I know how you love a good goaltender story. So I'm going to make your week on the pod with a good goaltender okay. story. Which goaltender is this about? Not you. <laughs> There's no good stories involving me. So <laughs> this actually... is OHL stories, not hacking it at junior C levels, junior B level stories. It's actually a story that I should give credit to Tony Saxon at Guelph Today dot com for unearthing because I happened to catch the moment at the end of last night's storm uh, firebirds game as we record this on uh, Wednesday the 19th so they met in Guelph the firebirds and storm and before we get to the end of the story can we just take one moment because the last team you and I saw play the Kitchener Rangers was the Guelph storm who had not played an OHL game in 29 days and continued or took the ice and just picked up sort of where they left off and put a crooked number up on the Rangers in a 7-4 win. I don't know uh, if George Burnett found a fountain of youth, if he has read and then reread and perhaps rewritten some textbooks on coaching, but I'm starting to think that Dale Hunter, you and I have already anointed as the guy that is likely to pass Brian Kilray for coaching win someday. Maybe Dale should be looking over his shoulder saying, who's this Burnett guy? And when are we going to slow him down? Wow. Are the storm a buzzsaw right now? They are. And trust me, he knows who this Burnett guy is because George was probably coaching in the league while Dale was playing in the league. Oh, come on. Okay. What are you going to be that way for? I'm just, I'm saying that because George has been around this league forever. Like, I don't know what happens to an, to the Ontario hockey league without like what, honestly, what happens in let's say, 10 years without David Branch or George Burnett. Does the league exist? No, I was just going to say my, my OHL includes Branch and Burnett. So I I don't know. I might have to leave the league myself. Stop applauding. Stop with the applause, but (laughs) you know, it, it, it's wild just how long George has been associated with this league and not only associated as it's wild, how long he's got it done for. We were talking not long ago that before or after the Guelph Storm's last run, when they won the OHL championship, I thought that was George's swan song. Yep, I honestly sure. thought, you know what, he's going to pack it in, go out on top. Congrats, George. Nope, comes back. And here we are through a global pandemic, almost through it. And he's got another team playing way above their heads a year, maybe two years too soon. And they're the talk of the town in the Western conference. It continues to just blow my mind that he's able to coach this well repeatedly and do it even as the game and the players in this game have changed so much. So I can, I am so impressed by what George Burnett is doing with this hockey club this year. I, I just have to give him a round of applause because the guy is just an absolute stunning coach right now couldn't agree more and what he's doing with this team 
currently that seems to be a little bit of ahead of schedule in the junior hockey cycle. The Storm were down 4 nothing to Flint in that game last night. Came back, forced overtime, lost in OT, but still. Uh, anyway, and you want to watch now the best in the West this weekend. Guelph gets the Sioux and then London, London. That is going to be some must-watch OHL hockey. I know you're going to have to have the CHL pass or listen to our good buddy Larry Malott on CJ uh, CJoy Radio out of Guelph, whatever you're doing to follow them, but uh, it's going to be a big weekend for the Guelph Storm. I just also want to point out that as good of a job as George has done with this hockey club this year and for the last 20 years, also as a general manager. Okay, so he's working twice as hard as 17, 16 other general managers in this league and head coaches and still getting this kind of results. I just want to point it. The guy is unbelievable. It's been uh, it's been great to watch. So that goaltender story and because uh, I, I saw this happen at the end of the game and I, I said, well, there there's got to be a history there. So what happens is it was uh, Jacob Oster got the start for Guelph. Uh, was kind of shaky early, but settled in. Luke Cavillan was standing on his head for the Firebirds, but Guelph's going to Guelph, and they've got Sasha Pastichoff and Matt Fuatra and keep going down the lineup, so Storm come back. But at the end of the game, after Flint scored the OT winner, uh, and it, it, it looked even kind of more surreal, if you will, in the empty arena, but Oster and Cavillan met at center ice, and they were having a conversation. And so the the cap, the cameras happened to capture this and so i was watching i said well they, there must be a history here and credit to tony saxon as i mentioned uh, great follow on twitter at saxon on the storm if you want to keep up with all things guelph in the ohl but oster is the younger obviously cavlin's been around this league for a little bit three years difference between them but they both are from the ottawa area uh, went to the same high school cavlin's dad helped train oster good buddies from way back and they were just having a little exchange after playing one another mano a mano at the Sleeman Center. So I, I thought I just thought it was neat to see, and it just reminds you of the uh, the relationships in the game, the relationships in hockey generally. You know, you might have played with this kid when you were growing up, but you play against him later at a variety of levels. But it's great to, for me anyway. I always like seeing the bonds uh, that hockey ties for people. It was neat neat to see. Why do you not like tummy that? Why tummy sticks? What? I, I, never. Uh, it's com- you have to be a competitor, Mike. The game was over. Chris. I, I know, and I appreciate. The I was game just, was let me, fin- over. let me finish. I, I oh. appreciate that it happened after the game, and goalies are a little different. But I just it. Whenever I see that kind of thing, it just it's a throwback to the way, or it's a it's a throwback for me because it's the way the game has changed so much. We've mentioned it on this podcast before. I think. It was when we had Evan McGrath on and I was talking to him about how back in those days, when you lined up against someone, maybe it was Robbie shrimp. Anyway, you wanted to kill the other person. You did. And I know you can't say that nowadays. Oh, here comes the dog. I know you can't say that nowadays, but that's the mindset that players had. It was you or me. One of us is leaving this ice with two points and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get it. I understand that it happened after, so I have no problem with it. I think it's great, especially when a goalie like Luke Cavillan identifies that a younger goaltender in this league is probably going through some of the things that Luke Cavillan went went through in his first couple of years in Flint, trying to gain a starter's position and trying to do all the things to impress your coach. I should, we, if I knew if I knew we were we were going with this, we could have looked up whether George was there when Luke Cavillan came up with Flint. <laughs> 
been everywhere. Um, but I, I, I like to see that with, with goaltenders a, a little more. I, I'm just happy that it happened after the game. Listen, I don't want to see players who know one another go all all-star style on us during a game either. And, you know, glancing body checks this or, you know, put your stick in there, that. But that's not happening. And I get it. I love the rivalries. I remember the old stories of the original six in the you know, the National Hockey League, when you're on that train from Montreal to Toronto, you're just thinking about how much you hate that other team. But let's not forget how much smaller the world is now, too, right? When you played for the Montreal Canadiens or the Toronto Maple Leafs, you were likely from Quebec or the Montreal area or the greater Toronto area. Anyway, go on and on. Doesn't matter. I thought it was a neat moment. I mentioned uh, Tony's Twitter, at Saxon on the storm. Hoper is at underscore Chris Pope. I am at Farwell underscore OHL. Our email address is farwellandpope at gmail.com. You might want to use one of those contact points because I've, I've got a small story to share that was inspired by a story you're about to hear from our guest. And uh, I wonder if there's a fair or foul here that you might want to weigh in on because I think it's totally fair what I did, but you might feel differently. So farwellandpope at gmail.com, at underscore Chris Pope, at farwell underscore OHL. And while we're doing all of this stuff, please remember, give the podcast a like, leave us a a review. It helps. Tell your friends, you know, because we're trying to do some good work here. We hope you're enjoying it. And if you are, let people know about it. Absolutely. Um, I, uh, I think anybody should leave us a review. Let us know what you think one way or another. Um, We do have a sponsor this week, Farzi. Do you want to give a shout out now or do you want to go with your story first? No. Well, I'll get to the story. There's one other thing. We I obviously talk haven't planned this through wise. for our listeners. Sorry. Just want to perfectly we haven't fine. planned this through. Go ahead. There's, there's one more hockey related thing I want to get to before the story, the fair or foul, but no, I definitely wanted, you read my mind. That's why I set it up this way. Got all okay. the contact points in there. Let's hear about it. That's let's hear from that sponsor. Paul. Come on. Perfect. Nexus health and training in Elmira. We combine both modern training techniques to the health and wellness industry while excelling in youth athlete sport and hockey development. Our priority will always be what you are looking for and wanting to do to help yourself. We have all new exclusive training windows to help maximize your experience. Establish and imagine. Continue to grow with the right people. Memberships, group fitness, personal training, hockey-based development, physiotherapy, and naturopathic guidance. We're the nexus of your development. Nexus Health and Training in Elmira. Who wrote that for you? Who wrote? Somebody wrote that for you. You did not do that yourself. And by the way, clearly, don't use me as any sort of beacon for Nexus Health and Training in Elmira because I've never seen the inside of a gym. Well, back before the 2019-20 season when I lost weight, that was Nexus Health and Development. Nice. (laughs) This is Molson (laughs) (laughs) and Lockdown. That's what this is. But uh, yeah, shout out to Nexus Health and Training in Elmira for sponsoring this podcast. Thanks for coming on board, fellas. Uh, farwellandpope at gmail.com. If you'd like to be like Nexus, we have excellent rates and operators are standing by. Okay. I was thinking about this. There, there aren't operators. any operators. If you send an email, we'll get back. What, does that make me sound old? So no, I just laughed because I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm listening to 32 Thoughts. Love mm-hmm. Fridge, love Merrick, love the pod. Uh, I, I suspect there's probably some crossover between the two. So maybe you heard this too. Um, and, and it's even before the, uh, but they were talking about Connor McDavid 
talking to the media after the Oilers blew a 3-1 lead to the Ottawa Senators. And um, basically, everybody's wondering who follows the NHL, what's going on with Edmonton. That's not what I'm here to talk about. Uh, and this is before, of course, Dreisaitl gets into it with uh, Jim Matheson. Anyway, yeah, with the Edmonton Journal. Why are you so pissy? Oh, but, that was great. So you, you and I... Uh, yes. covered McDavid in this league. You and I would yes. have talked to Connor McDavid in this league. And so yes. I'm just, I'm listening to him take the question. And this is just random. Like here I am listening to mm-hmm. the pod, walking the dogs, listening to Connor McDavid, who sounds just utterly dejected. And they're, they're asking like, what happened? You blew a lead to the Ottawa centers. And for whatever reason, my mind went here. Why is, like, I think I know the answer. I think we're supposed to, ask the team that lost, you know, what went wrong or ask the team that was supposed to win, why they didn't win. But why don't we ever ask, like, what did Ottawa start doing? Because on any given Sunday, right. On any given Friday in this league, whether one team is better on paper or better in the standings or not, these are all competent Ontario hockey league teams. These are all competent national hockey league teams. So yes, the Edmonton Oilers built a 3-1 lead over the Ottawa Senators in that game. Well, how did they do that? And then what did Ottawa do to come back? Like, why is it always, why does Connor McDavid have to answer for what went wrong with his team? Why can't the answer just be, you know, guys, they did a couple of things really well. We made this little tiny mistake maybe, and they capitalized, whatever. But why are we always focusing on why did you lose instead of, gee, that other team won? Why, why is that? I know that's kind of philosophical, but that's what I wondered. Here's why. Okay. I'm assuming, judging by your background there, above that Rangers picture is a window. There is a window there, yeah. Take a look outside. It's dark. It's dark right now as we record this. Welcome to Canada. the real world? Welcome to Canada, (laughs) Mike. Welcome to Canada. Oh, come on. No, I'm telling you, we're all six cities with a National Hockey League team. The media in those cities expect that team to win every single game. It's fact. 93 (gasps) was the last Stanley Cup that our country has. We wear it prouder than any other country with any other sport in the world, probably, that we are the hockey country. No Stanley Cups since 93. Chris, you on our broadcasts are the guy that goes downstairs to talk to Mike McKenzie after every game. I talk to him before every game as part of our broadcast. And and what is it, you know, that we tend to focus on? What's going wrong? You're on a four-game slide right now, right? Your, it's your power plays to uh, uh, yeah, I guess it is. I just wonder why we why do we want to focus on the negative results? Hey, that other team played a really good hockey game tonight. I don't know. I, if I'm because player, you're covering that team, like yeah. Mark Spector or whoever in Edmonton is covering the Edmonton Oilers. His job is not to ask Connor McDavid about the Ottawa senators. His job is to find out what is going on with that Edmonton Oilers team. That's why when I go down and talk with Mike McKenzie post game and with players, it is often about the Rangers game. It isn't very often about the opposing team, unless I bring up how well they played, or did you expect that from them? AKA, did you scout that team? Is that the team that you were, that you expected to see? 
in the National Hockey League, it is, an, it is a result-based business. And when you are the Edmonton Oilers, when you have the best player in the world, bar none, and arguably the second best player in the world, bar none, and the last time you had the best player in the world, bar none, and arguably the second best player in the world, bar none, you were ringing in championships like there was no tomorrow. But for whatever reason, you are wasting away one of the greatest hockey players, if not the most skilled hockey player to ever play the game, you are wasting away his pre-prime years. Yeah. That's you know why everyone in Edmonton is fired up. You know who's wasting it away? Ken Holland is wasting it away. Go have a conversation with him. So you can have a conversation with the general manager and the head coach at the same time in Kitchener. That's awesome. I just, I just hey, found Ken it Ken Holland faced media the other day. Ken Holland <laughs> faced media, but he was too busy talking about bringing in a player that has more problems than I care to even talk oh, about. Yeah. So anyway, I, it was I'm just, not even going to say his name. Like I said, a little philosophical, just something that kind of occurred to me. I'm like, we're always just wondering what went wrong with you. Why? And if I was thinking, maybe I just felt bad for Connor McDavid because we had a few good interviews over the years. I really mm-hmm. liked the guy. And I'm just thinking, if I'm Connor, I'm like, just tell the guy, you know what? Ottawa played a really good game today. I'm sorry we didn't win. You know? But do you we'll know, do you know why? So I'm going to put, think about this though, okay? Okay. Connor McDavid is Connor McDavid, okay? He is, again, I don't even think it's arguably Farzi. He is the best hockey player in the world. Full stop, period. In order for that team to lose, he and Leon probably did something wrong. Because yeah, they're they that didn't, they, good. Didn't, they didn't play every shift. They couldn't play <laughs> 60 minutes. Right? Yeah. So when you, it's such a result-based industry that when you have those two players on your team you expect to win every night so when you don't win the question is isn't why did that team beat you is why'd you lose because you expect to win every single night and i'm sure to a man i'm i guarantee you i've had two conversations with connor i think in my life he expects to win every night because he's on that team of course like he's that nasty um i i get where you're coming from and i understand but it's not about what did Ottawa do, right? It's you should beat that team. Why didn't you beat that team? All right. Our, our guest on this podcast this week is going to share a story about arguably the most dominant junior player to ever skate through the Ontario Hockey League and how, how he played an almost, almost an entire period in an almost completed comeback for his OHL team. You're going to get that story coming up. And you're also going to get a story about one of my favorite now former arenas in the Ontario Hockey League. And when he's telling the story, because he was there while it was being renovated to become an arena for a different team, and he talked about wearing hard hats. This is where the fair or foul, offside or onside comes in. You tell me. Because when he's telling the story about being there while the renovation was happening, it reminded me of 2012, when there was a renovation happening at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium. And I got to go in, or I was in there for some reason for a little look around while the construction was happening. So you're on, a, obviously, a working construction site, hard hats, boots, etc. Now, ever since my very first real job, after I was done being a newspaper carrier, <laughs> I got a job in a factory when I was a teenager. I have had a pair of steel toe boots. It just so happened, quick side story, I was working a... Um, a, a radio show at Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and J.B. Goodhue was the sponsor of a particular um, segment that we did on the morning show, and I was hosting that morning. So I just 
when I gave the sponsorship, I'm like, oh, hey, by the way, guys, I'm a size nine. And a week later, a brand new pair of work boots showed up for me from JB Goodhue. I didn't mean for that to happen, but it did. Really cool byproduct of doing a radio show in Toronto. Anyway, so I was pretty excited because my old boots were a little bit worn. But here's the thing. Now tell me, fair or foul, onside, offside. I go to this active construction site with my brand new work boots, my brand new steel toe boots. And all of a sudden I realize, hang on a second, I'm walking onto a site with brand new boots. I'm going to look like a greenhorn out here. I'm going to look like I've never worn these. I'm going to look like I just got these boots just to come for this tour. I've, I've put hours and hours of real, like I, my previous pair of boots. No, I, I know, I know what I do now, but I'm telling you, there's a side of me, Popper, that you have not seen. I have like, I will outwork you till the end of this day, every day. I'm, I got some work ethic in me, young man. I'm telling you, my old, my old steel tube boots. You could see the steel underneath the leather because they were all ripped. They were, they were awesome. And Did also, you lend I them these, to someone? Shut no. But this is it. I, put, <laughs> I put legit hours into those things. I'm telling you. So I get to this construction site, and it occurs to me, I look like this this greenhorn. But I didn't care so much while I was there. I was going to help a buddy. Like three days later, he was building a shed. And I'm like, okay, I've got the perfect opportunity. So when I'm walking around the site as the odd is under construction, I deliberately scuffed my boots. Oh, there's a bin of this. And I put my foot underneath the lip and I scrape them up. And then I'm good, some cinder blocks and I kick them. And I even dumped some like, uh, like uh, concrete, like uh, asphalt dust, some mix onto the boots just to, just to spice them up a bit. So that when I went to my buddy's place that weekend to help build the shed, I looked like my boots had been broken in because my old ones had been. They just happened to be brand new boots that JB Goodhue sent me. Not a sponsor on this podcast, but could be fair or foul, onside, offside. So foul. Why? That's completely cut. Come on. Tim, Tim and Sid, completely cut as opposed to uncut. Yeah, that you can't scuff up your own work boots to try to make it look like you wore them before. But my previous boots had been legitimately no. worked then, in. That's a, hey, that's the price of getting new work boots for free. But then but the, <laughs> you okay, come on. Anybody should wear your old a, ones. Any lunch pail Joe or Jane that's listening to this right now, tell me that when the the boots you've got have to be replaced and you've got the brand new pair. Tell me you don't scuff them before you go back to the job site. I call you a liar if you don't. Of course you no, do. You, no, you don't. You rock them like it's the first day of school. Check out my oh, new work boots, Kyle. No way. No way. Nobody yes. wants to see your brand new work boots. They want to know that your boots have worked. That's what they want. Listen, to we, we all know that I was chirping you about your work ethic. We all know that for 30 days a year, you work hard. <laughs> That's true for 30. 31 days in May, 31 days a year, you work hard. That's true. Okay. The other remaining days, 333, 34, 35, whatever. Yeah. You and I don't work. That's fair. That's, I can't argue with this. I can't argue with any of this. Exactly. Because yeah. much like our guest this week, our vocation is our vacation. And you, yeah. Um, oh my gosh. You measure. How, what was that? How am I forgotten it already? What's counted is measured. No. Wasn't that it? What's no? measured is done. 
Oh, what's measured is done. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. What's measured yeah. is done. What's measured Loved is it. Done. Lots of good quotes yeah. from this guy. He's got more than a few. And if you want to know how many quotes he has, probably just ask him because he counts everything else. Yeah. Make it. it jo- should be ahead. the rain man. Should just be the rain man. <laughs> There's a lot of rain man happening here. It's crazy. Uh, February 1st will mark 41 years in sports media. You can count them upwards of 17 World Series, 14 Stanley Cups, 19 Memorial Cups, all part of 259 major sporting events. How do I know that? Because he counts them. He's broadcast over 1,200 junior and pro hockey games, uh, five books, over 3,700 shows on Canada's number one sports radio network. Sports I just got to say real quick, I'm yeah. pretty sure it's 42 because he'll, he's him and his numbers. He was 1980, wasn't oh, 42? he? 42? 42 years, February 1st this year. Yeah, just yeah so 42 know. years. Yeah, you said, you said 41. I just want to make oh, sure. Oh, did I? Oh, I, on the my right apologies. Page. Yeah, so, that's okay. Sorry, sorry, Raj. I know. 42 February 1st. Author, teacher, reporter, editor, broadcaster, announcer, hockey executive. And now he's got... Um, He's pairing with two two friends of his doing some consulting and life coaching called teammates. As far as the OHL and CHL is concerned, and basically Ontario sports, if you don't know Roger Lejoie, then you don't know. But now, you know. Roger Lejoie on OHL Stories brought to you by Nexus Health and Training. We'll, we'll get to a lot of OHL stuff first, but I just want to ask you, what do you think Brian Cantley's doing right now? Brian Cantley. Yeah. Do you remember Brian, that name? Yeah, very much so. Brian Cantley is the editor of the was the editor of the Etobicoke Gazette, who hired me for my first job February the first, nineteen eighty. Coming up so on forty two years. He's 40, filled with regret. Is that what you're saying, Roger? Forty two <laughs> years in the business, uh, February first. Thank you for that. I I count everything, guys. Everybody everybody know, who knows me well knows that I count everything. I did 1,250 OHL broadcasts. I've been to 259 major sporting events. I have been in the business 42 years exactly. I've done 3,761 Sportsnet 590 of the fan shows. I'm not, and I'm not BSing. I know these numbers, but it was Mr. Cantley that gave me my job 42 years ago at the uh, Etobicoke Gazette, February the 1st. And uh, now I like the fact that you've got a senator's a towel in your place. I'm very happy to be here in Ottawa. And uh, yeah, guys, I, I knew you were going to be on and we we're going to be talking mostly OHL, but it, it's funny. I was reviewing and I said, okay, so what, what should I talk to the boys about? And then I think, my goodness, I did OHL games for 20 years and uh, with the generals and the um, majors and the steelheads and back in the day with the Marlboros, for heaven's sakes, the Maple Leaf Gardens with Paul Romanek on, on CJ, uh, CKMR, I believe the station was. So there's so much to talk about. But, you know, everything else I've done, I've been a reporter, a broadcaster, I've written five books. I've been such a great thing. I'm just wonderful. And I thank you for, for having me on. But if I had only done the OHL, I would have been happy as anything. And people have asked me, and satisfied too, people have asked me, you know, if you could have written your own career, you know, would you have followed the script you did? Well, a thousand percent because I loved it. And listen, getting to go to World Series and Super Bowls and everything I've done, that was the ultimate. But if all I'd been... And someone had said to me, and I think you guys are really appreciative. If someone had said to me, look, we're going to pay you, I won't give a figure, but a really good chunk of change. 
And all you're ever going to be is an OHL play-by-play man. I would have signed off on that coming out of school, and I'd sign off on that today. That's how much I love the OHL, junior hockey, and the job. But as we all know, it doesn't do that. You still need other things to do in your career. I was very fortunate to do other things. But, um, yeah, 42 years and counting. So if people are waiting for a retirement announcement, it's not coming. It's not coming forthwith. Okay, we won't get that out of this podcast tonight. But on the point of the OHL, and I think you're preaching to the choir here with both Chris and I who feel that same passion for the league. What is it about the Ontario Hockey League that lights that fire for you? Well, for me, guys, it's it's the, well, first of all, it's always the people. You know, when we talk we're in COVID, why do we miss, you know, um, why is it so tough to be in an empty arena covering, watching games? We miss the people. So it's the people. Now, all sports have the people. But I always found in the OHL it was that the the, the, the sense of potentiality, the potential that you're looking on the ice, you're seeing these kids and I, you know, I'm sure we'll talk stories of the OHL, but I, I had the opportunity to play as both you guys have, like guys like Eric Lindros in his rookie season, John Tavares for his four years in, in Oshawa. Although I didn't cover his game, Steven Stamkos, I got stories about those guys in particular and you see them and now you see them now, no matter what happens to them in their careers, you are there at the start of it. There's just such a sense of optimism, of looking to the future, of what can still be in the OHL. And I love the age group. One of the reasons I love you know, teaching great young men like Chris Pope here, because you, you, you keep yourself young, being around young people. The great Brian Kilroy had the best quote about the OHL. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But he said it was like Dorian Gray, the portrait of Dorian Gray in reverse. You know, he keeps getting older. And everybody around him stays the same age. And I always remembered that line. And I thought, yeah, every year you're in the OHL, you guys get getting older. You're still a puppy pope. Mike, you're getting up there. I'm, I'm ahead of both of you guys. But when we're at OHL games, the players are still the same age as they were back in 1990 when I was covering Eric Lindros. I, I just think that's pretty cool. Was the OHL something back in 1980 when you got that start, Raj, was it something that you had your eye on or is it something you learned to love in your broadcasting history? Like a lot of people, Chris, when I first came out of journalism school, I took journalism at Ryerson University. Then it was known as Ryerson Polytechnical Institute. Uh, I was just trying to get a job in sports. I had decided that I went to school to be a sports writer or broadcaster, period, case closed. So was the OHL front and center? No. I grew up in, in the Montreal area. I attended a lot of uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League games, um, Montreal Junior Canadian games at the Montreal Forum with my dad uh, for many years. So I had a strong allegiance to junior hockey uh, in Laval as well. A friend of mine lived in Laval, saw a lot of the Teton games in, in Laval. Had the opportunity to see Mario Lemieux play some junior games in Laval even. So I had a great background right from the start in junior hockey. But it just turned out it was one of the first quick opportunities. My first job was the Etobicoke Gazette um, in in February of 1980. Um, There was no junior hockey there per se. But then I got a job at Oshawa this week, later in the same year, and I started covering the Oshawa Generals. And then after 1982, my first non-newspaper job was business manager of the Toronto Marlboros of the OHL. And I got that just based on my experience in being a recent grad and I worked cheap. At, at that time in 1982. And so I naturally gravitated to it. But, you know, despite everything in the 42 years and everything I've done and all the major events, 
junior hockey has been an ongoing thing for me. And I guess the last, I'm going to say now, five, six years, I haven't done an OHL game. I've been busier than ever, but I still miss the OHL. So, Chris, it was never a goal. It was never I want to be in the OHL, but I wanted to be in sports. I had the background of junior hockey, and when the opportunity come came, it turned into a lifelong passion. I've spent decades covering the OHL. It's the best. You obviously were right in the thick of things in the GTA, Raj, Mississauga, St. Mike's, as you've already talked about. And we've seen the GTA struggle as a junior hockey market. The, the, the high-level answer is always, of course, that you know Toronto isn't so much a hockey market as it is a Maple Leafs market. But from your time in the trenches in the GTA, what does work for junior hockey and, and why, in some cases, does it not? I don't know too many times where it's work. Yeah. I think you would have to define what work means to uh, Mike and Chris. Like, listen, uh, it's always been a, a labor of love, a passion for all owners. Uh, and, and if they didn't, they, they've gotten rid of it. When I started at the Toronto Marlboros as business manager in 1982, 1982, this is now, oh my God, 39 years ago, 40 years ago, I guess, in 20, now we're in 2020. Frank Bonello, general manager of the team, uh, told me, he said, one of our biggest problems is attendance struggles. And this is something that's been an ongoing issue and blah, blah, blah. And he gave me the speech and, the, and he said, even back in 73, 75, when the Marlies had uh, two Memorial Cup championship teams, the attendance was so bad. They played some games in Markham. Uh, it's always been a struggle, blah, blah, blah. That same conversation we could have tonight with anybody who's involved in junior hockey in 2022 in the GTA. When has it ever been successful? The answer is never. When has it ever worked? The answer is never. Now, it's been maintained thanks to some great ownership. Elliot Kerr now doing a fabulous job keeping the steel heads uh, afloat. I don't know how he's doing it, but bless him. He's, he's a fantastic man, a, a terrific owner. Mr. Melnick, of course, had the majors uh, for 10 years. Scott Abbott led money for 15 years in Brampton um, uh, before – Gene Melnick bought the majors. Mississauga went through a litany, what, four or five owners, starting with Don Cherry and everybody else. Uh, the Marlies, I mentioned, had to move to Hamilton in 1990. What's never worked. It's never worked. However, it's, it's Toronto. It's a market. There have been enough hockey people that want to do it and keep it going. But, you know, to really answer your question truthfully, um, like there are no times it hasn't worked. Why it doesn't? It's Toronto. It's the big, it's the big city. There's so many other things to do. And I hate to say it, you know, but if somebody I've advised a lot of people on the buying and selling of franchises during my career. And if anybody said to me, what do you think, you know, junior hockey team in Toronto, I'd say, if it works for you and it's a labor of love and it's a passion, of course, go for it. But it's not a legitimate business. It never has been. See, that's the only thing that bothers me when I hear people talk about, you know, well, GTA junior hockey, you know, uh, is it going to work or why isn't it working? It's never worked. Never. Uh, Mr. Ballard ran the Marlboros out of the gardens because it was junior team and he had the ice. I'm not going to go through the whole history. But all throughout, it has been the same story, the same song. Toronto's a, a leaf town. It's not a hockey town. If I had a nickel for every time I've heard that line, I wouldn't have to keep working. For money. I could just volunteer all my time. It's like it's the same story. So regrettably it's tough it doesn't work it doesn't work and, and it stays there because of great ownership 
and people who love to do it. And right now, right up to the day with Elliot Kerr, who's doing everything he can. And let's not forget the contribution Scott Abbott made over 15 years or Eugene's contribution in 10 years as well. We hosted a Memorial Cup. That didn't. Played in Mississauga. That didn't. Played in Brampton. That didn't. Played in St. Mike's Arena. Didn't. Played out of Maple Leaf Gardens. Played out of Ryerson. You got any ideas? I think somebody would like to hear them because I'm out of them. So despite all that, though, Raj, how important is it, do you think, for the league to still have a team in the GTA? I have uh, David Branch, I consider a great friend. I think he is one of the best people in hockey. I think he's a exemplary commissioner. And through all of his great, I worked at what part of my long career is I worked for Mr. Branch's CHL director of information for two years in the early 2000s. Uh, my opinion would run counter to him and a lot of other people. I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters. I, uh, I'll ask you guys. So what are the Mississauga Steelheads doing for the OHL that another franchise couldn't if they'd moved to somewhere else? Why is it so important that they survive? Why? National TV? That's not the case. Very rarely are the GTA teams. Junior hockey's lifeblood is in the rest of the country. Look at the Western League. They have the same problem with Vancouver from time to time. It's been hit and miss there. It hasn't been all failure. Let's say Montreal, city of Montreal, same thing. Disastrous for junior hockey. All those junior Canadian games I went to, there's nobody there either in Montreal. So why is it so important? At the big league level, it's important for TV, for revenue, for sponsorship. But I find it hard to believe a national sponsor will not sponsor a 60-team CHL unless there's a team in Mississauga. I don't buy that. I don't buy. So I, I haven't. I haven't. I don't buy into that, Chris. I um, maybe somebody's got some information I don't have as to why that is. Um, why is that so important in uh, junior hockey? But I don't see it. The only thing we keep coming back to, Roger, we've had this conversation a fair mm-hmm. bit, is the importance of the area geographically when it comes to being a hub, for lack of a better word, for scouts. When you're heading further south down in Niagara, up north, Barrie, et cetera, east, west, Kitchener, Oshawa, take your pick. But there's something about the cachet that has an opportunity for scouts to see games there. Other than that, hard pressed. Yeah. And even that, you know, Mike, uh, to be honest with you, is like scouts going to go wherever the game is. Yeah. You know, you're, you, you don't run a business model based on the uh, expedience of your scouting department. And how, you know, nice it is to be able to have, yeah, let's keep the team there because we want to make sure the scouts are all have a, a, a game to watch. I, I, I don't buy that, especially when you look at the number of junior teams that surround the GTA, in addition to Mississauga, of course. Uh, for years, Belleville was a great one. The HL is there now, but I know, you know them all. You, you, you guys are on the bus. You visit all the cities. Kingston, Kitchener is the best, one of the best junior hockey cities in, in Canada. Uh, London, fantastic. Guelph. Uh, Kingston, uh, Peterborough, Oshawa. What do you mean? There's no place to watch junior hockey if you're a scout in GTA. What, are they all on transit? <laughs> and by the way, try to take transit to the Hershey Center. Good luck with that one. So it's, yeah, again, I, I don't want to come across as negative. It's not the, my intent. But when you're asking me the question, you know, why, you know, is it important for the CHL to have a team in the GTA? I don't know. Because I don't see it. I guess maybe the better question would be, do you think David Branch thinks it's necessary to have a team in the GTA? 
you would, I would never attempt to speak to David or any of the CHL partners. Um, I'll, I'll put it this way. They don't want any teams pulled. Um, and I don't think they're doing anything untoward to, you know, keep the team in Mississauga. You know, they, they try to keep the team in every city that comes close to losing their team. They were caught off guard by Belleville or, or Belleville. Well, they don't want franchises moving at any time. I don't, I just don't think guys, it's the front of center issue that so many people think it is when they talk about it. The reason the Mississauga Steelheads are still in Mississauga is Elliot Kerr. It's not the CHL wanting to have a team desperately for Elliot Kerr decides he doesn't want to be in Mississauga anymore and there's nobody to replace him. There will be no team in the GT uh, in, in the greater Toronto area. And you always hope that somebody else would step in. So, um, I guess, sure, but is that good for optics? Fifteen hundred people at a game in Mississauga on national TV—that's that's that that's attracting corporate sponsors, is it? I, I don't see it. I just don't see it for any reasons. But I'm sure there is a reason, and maybe it's it's. I guess it's a pay grade higher than ours. But I listen. If uh, if they want to keep the team in Mississauga, that's great. But I don't believe they're doing it for any other reason except for the team's already there and you don't want the team to move. And they would do that in any market in this country. You mentioned those 1,200 plus games in the Ontario Hockey League, Raj, and, and you ran down. <laughs> of course, but who's counting? <laughs> you are. Uh, <laughs> you ran down some of the names. And, and one that you mentioned, uh, I, I don't think gets talked about enough on this podcast. When his name does come up, and we heard about him as a 14-year-old prior to the OHL, and we heard some analysis of him when he was in the OHL. But Eric Lindros, who obviously you would have seen up close and personal, described by those who have talked about him so far on this podcast as the most dominant junior player uh, of his time. What are your recollections of when you saw him? Well, I totally agree whoever said that in the past. He was. <clears throat> Still remains the most dominant junior player I have ever seen. Um his level of maturity and sophistication was through the roof, even as a kid coming into Oshawa. And I'll never forget, you know, we first came and I'm covering and My job at that time was sports writer of Oshawa this week. I wasn't doing radio games or TV games at that time, but I was covering the team for the newspaper. And I remember watching him come in and the first couple of games, I mean, he was a monster. Still is, but he was a big guy. He comes in just before Christmas. 89 after that debacle with Sault Ste. Marie and everything and uh, whatever. So he comes in and his first games, you know, they're, they're good. They're good. Noticeable. Everything else. But he hadn't scored a goal. Memory serves me. I think in the first, he had five or six assists. Generals are playing. I believe it was Belleville, but again, memory might serve. But anyway, they're playing one night in the arena and it's five, one Oshawa is losing in the third period. And for whatever reason, coach Rick Kornacki at that time, I think just decided, you know what? I'm going to let this kid play. In other words, like, you know, he's, like you mentioned, 14, 15 years old, a young kid just barely in the league, work him in, let him go. He's just starting and everything. And I guess they're down 5-1. And, guys, we know they don't keep ice time in the OHL, which is a good thing because they'll find out some players are playing 50 minutes a night. And Lindros is, I don't know, he must have played 17 minutes in the third period. He had a goal and two assists. And they ran out of time. The Generals lost 5-4. But if there had been two more minutes in the game, the Generals would have won, and it was all Lindros. And we're sitting in the press box. We're turning to each other, and we're going, okay, this is a real deal. This isn't hype. This isn't some smoke and mirrors kind of thing. 
and we all know the, the story. Uh, he, he was a big factor on the team in the Memorial Cup in 1990. He was the best player in the league in 1991. Um, total domination. The game revolved around him. The game revolved around him. And there's guys who have been great OHL players, and I didn't see Bobby Orr play in Oshawa, so that's the only comparable I would have. And I don't know what other people like. If it's not Eric Lindros, who's the most dominant junior of all time? I'd really like to know, outside of Bobby Orr and Eric Lindros, who they're picking. Because I can tell you, if anybody asks me, well, who's number two? I don't have a number two. And they've been great players. We all know. We've seen them all. You guys have seen them. Well, what do you guys who, who do you guys think? Dan Post of ours, they've been all kinds of superstars playing in the OHL. But compared just the way the game revolved around Lindros, no. No, not, I, I, not even close for me. Not even close. Was that 1990 Memorial Cup the best Memorial Cup in the CHL history? Well, best one I ever saw. I had no doubt about it. Double overtime in Hamilton. And by the way, that's one of the, uh, you know, the things that's always been a pet peeve for me. I hate the host game in a Memorial Cup. And I know because it's all economics. I got it. But you may as well just, so we all admit it. It's all economics. Okay. So I don't like it. But I understand it. Last game in Hamilton, uh, Oshawa Generals, Kitchener uh, Rangers, double overtime. I sat in the press box next to the incredible Sherry Basson. He was doing a column for Oshawa this week. I was a reporter. So for two overtime periods, I had to listen to him every time the Generals had a shift. Hit me in the shoulder and go, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. So, you know, he could have said when the goal was scored, here it is, and I was right. And he was right after I got about 800 punches in the arm and Bill Armstrong finally scored in, in double overtime. Um, Freddie Brathwaite, uh, Kevin Butt starts in goal, breaks his ankle halfway through the game. Freddie Brathwaite comes into the game, replaces him, stones the rest of the team. They win 2-1 in overtime, double overtime, sold out every seat in the building in Hamilton, which didn't even have a team. Kitchener versus Oshawa. So, so much for the host team. And now, mind you, I know, I mean, I don't want to get into that argument. I know you're going to have a host team all the time in the Memorial Cup. But one of the reasons, first, great hockey game, sensational entertainment, fabulous ending, double overtime, but a sellout in a neutral venue. So, yeah, um, yeah, I try to think. There have been a lot. There has been overtime games in the Memorial Cup. But, oh, that was a beauty, folks. What a stroke of luck, though, in some senses, really, that was for the Ontario Hockey League, wasn't it? Because obviously Hamilton, not fit to host. I, I get your point completely on the whole idea of the host team. But Oshawa, Kitchener, geographically to Hamilton, could it have worked out any better for the league? No question. Hey, if Sault Ste. Marie is in the Memorial Cup, we have a exactly. discussion, 100%. No, there was some luck involved there. And yes, geography is a big factor. That still is in some Memorial Cups, to be honest with you, though. Yeah, I mean, unless they're in very small arenas, you're always hoping that you're going to have at least one team that's going to have a large fan base that's going to come to the games because of, of where they are. And listen, guys, you know, we remember Memorial Cup. I remember the Memorial Cup in Windsor didn't sell out. You know, and, Last game, or that fact of the Friday night game, the whole end of the arena was empty. I know people don't like talking about that, who are you know big backers of the OHL, but let's let's call it for what it is. And that was with a host team, but the host team got knocked out in the second round. The prices were high, didn't have a team close by, and then all of a sudden. So, but to your point, Mike, yeah, I mean Oshawa and Kitchener to Hamilton is is an easy drive for everybody, and because of the large number of seats, the whole tournament wasn't sold out. The Thursday night game, I think, was. 10,500 when they met each other, which is still pretty impressive. 
And then, of course, once it became obvious they were going to play in the final, the last couple of thousand seats sold the day or two before. You wouldn't see that in the Memorial Cup anymore. They're all packages now. They're all pre-sold. But, yeah, yeah, they got lucky. But, oh, boy, what a great, what a great night that was. What a great hockey game. You mentioned that when you guys hosted the Memorial Cup, when you were in Mississauga 2011. What was it like being inside that building when it became the Bayshore South? Well, the worst part was the OHL fight. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> the worst part, the worst part was the OHL fight. <clears throat> the Memorial Cup was great. And listen, I, I know by the way, you want a story on the OHL. I got one on Owen Sound I'll, I'll share with you uh, later on because apparently this is an hour. Um, we were with, I'm, of course, broadcasting for the majors on Rogers, but I'm also working for the team. Everybody knows that. I'm, I'm the play-by-play guy. Uh, Dan Dunleavy, pardon me, was the play-by-play guy in 2011. I'm the color. And um, so at any rate, the series going back and forth on Rogers, and I'm traveling back to Owen Sound to see the games go back and forth. And the first six games, the first three in Owen Sound, packed. Packed. Nasty. Yelling. A terrible place for the visiting team. Mississauga wasn't horrible, but not not packed. Better than the regular season. Back again, G, G, you guys just asked me about the GTA. It's the OHL freaking final, and we can't fill the building. So at any rate, uh, all right, for the first so fifth game, we take a 3-2 series lead. We go into Owen Sound for game six. Owen Sound ekes out a 3-1 win, I believe. Great hockey game that was. Now we're going back for game seven. I'm driving to the ring game seven on my cell phone. I'm being bombarded with people I've never met or haven't talked to me in 10 years going, you got to get me tickets. You got to get me tickets. And I'm, I'm going like, hey, get me tickets. What for? And, well, they're saying the game sold out. Blah, 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 blah. And I get to the, and the box office guy goes, they're sold out. And I said, by who? Owen Sound tickets. As soon as game five, six ended, flood, in they come, in they come. And there are thousands of fans into the Hershey Center, and they beat us in overtime. So that year, we lose game seven at home in front of a hostile crowd at home <laughs> in overtime, and we lose a Memorial Cup final at home, three to one, Jonathan Huberdeau and, um, and St. John. So, uh, that was a tough one. And that, to me, in my mind, with the discussion we just had about it, that was my definitive, I've seen enough of junior hockey in the GTA. <clears throat> Doesn't work here. And then our first regular season home game after that, on our first, second regular season home game after that, lowest attended game in franchise history. So, so much for the Memorial Cup is going to tell you. It doesn't work there. So, yeah, uh, but listen – I told you, like, so I, uh, I had an opportunity. I was asked by the Owen Sound Sports Club, great organization there, several years ago now, uh, to go and be a speaker one night. They had, you know, they do an annual thing, and they have people, and they had some really good hockey people there. So I, I make it, why do you want me? And they go, well, you, your OHL background, you're on the fan, and everything else. And the guys, they had guys like Marcel Dion. Are these people going to be disappointed tonight? So I'm driving there, and I'm thinking, well, what am I going to talk about? So I just told my story, my experience of my time in Mississauga going to the OHL final and what it was like for a guy in Mississauga 
And I got one of the warmest and nice standing ovations afterwards. I basically said, I hated coming here so much in 2011, but I am so damn happy to be here tonight. And great people, warm people, wonderful people. So guys, who needs a team in the GTA? Find me another 3-0 sounds. Okay? Amen. Here, here. Give me another 3-0 sounds. Here, here. Uh, that year, culminating, of course, with the Memorial Cup, I'm going to take a stab in the dark here, though, because Dave Cameron's the head coach, obviously. He had been over at the World Juniors, and I don't know how much we want to go into the way Canada lost that final to Russia. He and Casey Sezikis return to the OHL after that tournament, after that devastating loss, meet up with the team in Sault Ste. Marie, where Dave has a history. He's well known there. Anyway, you, Roger, Peter Whitaker, James Boyd, Dave Cameron. After a Steelhead's win in Sault Ste. Marie in the hotel. Let's go. It was majors, first of all. Oh, pardon me. Majors. Majors. I I, so we're in the hotel and we have a few beers and uh, it was a nice night. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. The statute of limitations has passed, Roger. I will say, the only thing I'm going to say about that night, which is such a fun night. uh, Man, you guys dig up this stuff. Uh, the, only thing about that, the best is Dave Cameron, who you guys know, everybody in hockey, junior hockey knows Dave Cameron. By the way, back in Ottawa at the 67th, fantastic. I'm here in Ottawa. I hooked up with him and James Boyd. Uh, I was with Boyd and Cameron uh, as a broadcaster for almost a decade, both of them at different times. And now they're both back in Ottawa. I'm here in Ottawa. Terrific, guys. But that night in particular, Dave was at the apex, even though we had not coached in the NHL yet of his junior hockey, because he had just finished the World Juniors. And he's in Sault Ste. Marie at a bar, and we're having our pops. And he's at the end of the bar, and he's enjoying himself. And he's at, like we all are, and, you know, relaxing. And then young girls come up and go, I think that's me. So they're going up, and they're going up. And, and, and Dave just, you know, is not you know, just humble kind of guy. And he's smiling, and he's posing for pictures and everything else. And... Just never forget, I'm just looking there, smiling, looking at him, and all he does is give me the dirtiest look and push his empty beer glass to me. In other words, like, get me another beer now. This is not my thing. I'm not like this kind of thing. We had a fantastic time. It was a wonderful road trip. Sault Ste. Marie was great to Dave. Uh, I was at this uh, Memorial Cup in Sault Ste. Marie in 93, and that night was as much fun as I've had. Uh, after a junior hockey game in a long time. There's no sinister to it. It's nothing. It's just it's just good, fabulous fun with some of the best people in the game. And I cannot tell you enough. And then, you know, as fate would have it, uh, I'm the vice president running the team, and Boydy is his first year as general manager coach afterwards. And I respected James Boyd, and I love the guy that night while we're having a few beers. But I can't tell you how much I respect him after the year, tough year we went through together. So, yeah, that was that was a fun night, but no further details are coming from me. <laughs> Smart man. Yep. I tried. I told you it was Still shot involved. in the dark. Yeah, I know. Still involved Good in research. the game. Maybe we'll get it. Good Version research. 2.0. Good research. Uh, Rod, you mentioned it or mentioned his name when watching that 1990 Memorial Cup. Sherry Basson. Legendary around this league. Do you have any other good Sherry Basson stories? So Sherry had this thing in Oshawa that we found out only after the uh, Sherry, Sherry used to, you know, he'd do his 
big speech to the teams beforehand. And um, at the start of the year, so everybody's there and, you know, the players are sitting and there would be some media people there and they're sitting and like this and everyone's, you know, and sure, I'm going to tell you guys something. It's all about character. And he's come on and doing his big speech and everything else and he's working himself up and everybody is like all just all. And then Sherry like starts to lose control and he starts throwing things and then he just, he grabs a loose brick, he turns it around and he flings it against the glass and it shatters the window and the whole room, like, oh, jeez, calm down, buddy. And then everybody by the end is all pumped up and they're all, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, isn't it fantastic? And he had a repairman with a glass window to repair, replace the glass. The entire thing was staged. <laughs> Come on. True story. Absolute truth. And he'll, he might deny it, but I've had that verified by all kinds of people in the organization. But it was like, you know you've got to have, bang, oh, got everybody's attention. And five minutes after, the guy puts the glass back. Best motivator in the game. Fabulous guy. Still active with uh, in the community in Oshawa. He does stuff with the uh, Oshawa Symphony. He's just um, still a fabulous character. One of the best people in the game and, and uh, one of the finest. He, again, it's the people, like we talked about before. It's the people. That's what makes it. He was one of a kind boy. Among the many hats that you've worn, I've got a soft spot uh, for this one, Raj. Anybody that's listened to us before knows that I would love to see the Cornwall Royals back in this league. I got a little bit of a soft spot for the Brantford Alexanders back in the day. But also, my trips when we were making them to Belleville, and and I'm not saying it to curry favor. I, I think the folks in the Quinty region and the reception you got there as a, as a visitor in Belleville was second to none. Just great people. Hurt my heart a little bit when the Bulls were gone. But you, I was a little bit envious of and also angry at, not that it was your doing, but when that Yardman Arena was being renovated to become, of course, AHL ready. Take me through that process, because that that barn, it was unique, right? It had the bull with the red eyes on the one end. It had the Olympic size ice, et cetera. But you were there as part of the renovation to Remember bring that it. that guy with the spear? The yes, devil yes absolutely. Remember that guy? Yeah. Oh, it's so yeah. many good memories there. But what was it like being a part of that transition? That was fascinating, guys. It was. I, like you, was uh, I was moved to tears watching the last game in Belleville in uh, 2015, I guess, or 15-16 season when the jersey was put at center ice by the player and the fans were losing their team after 35 years. Uh, Doc Vaughn, rest his soul, one of the greatest owners uh, of the OHL in any time, and it was tough. And like you, Mike and Chris, I'd love to go to Belleville. they Fan club would bring you cookies. It was just, they had such a warmth to it. It was, it was really wonderful. So, but out of the ashes of that, um, that was quite a process. I started as VP of the team on November the 1st, 2016. And we didn't play our first home game until November the 1st, 2017. So we bring the AHL in where an OHL team existed and the arena. And I, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to be there since it's been renovated because it's no longer an OHL arena, but they did a fabulous job. They really did. Uh, I miss the Olympic ice surface, but end of the day is like, I mean, you know, there are no other Olympic ice surfaces, so it's business. You just do your business and and do it the same way, but they did a tremendous job and it's been, it's been a, a very good success. COVID has caused 
so much havoc there, I can't even tell you, in terms of the business model and everything else. This is year five now of the franchise, and they still haven't played a home playoff game, even though last year they were the fifth overall best team in the AHL because the AHL shut its season down and couldn't have come at a worse time. It was fascinating. Uh, you go to work with a hard hat a lot of days. We were part of the arena construction. It was a fascinating time. It was almost guys like, you know, the the Ma and Pa shop, favorite restaurant, run down, kind of greasy spoon, was razzed and a keg came in. And I love the keg. Who doesn't? Really mm. nice. It's more expensive. And it's not really what you had before. I guess that's the best way I could describe uh, the AHL coming to a new arena in Belleville, uh, replacing the OHL team in the barn. Um it's too bad. Frankly, Belleville, I think, probably is better served still as an OHL city, but it's a it's an expedient a business expedient decision. It's a great place for, for the Ottawa Centers to have a farm club. It's two and a half hours from the Canadian Tire Center. The hockey fans do enjoy it. It's a terrific amount of you guys were talking about scouts too. Man, did they, did they ever love being able to scout an AHL team, uh, game in Belleville? Absolutely terrific part of the circle. As, as they go around. It was fascinating. I had a great two and a half years there. I was only really planning on staying about a year and a half because I was commuting from Curtis, which is about 120 kilometers uh, from, from the arena on a regular basis, just staying over in Belleville when necessary. But I went up staying another year. I loved it. I think it's great. Uh, I think it is a great hockey community. And here's hoping after COVID they can uh, scratch their, their way back because there's a lot of work. A lot of damage was done, as with all teams as a result of, of uh, COVID. But love Belleville, love the people. You're right. It was such a great stop in the, uh, in the OHL. And I think people enjoy who come by in the AHL uh, still think that way because great people are still there, that's for sure. We talked about Belleville. George Burnett. Did you ever have a run-in with George? No, you know, I got along great with George Burnett. He told you you're like, the only one. You're the only one. No, I, I like George. It was Greg Brady that had the run-in with George. Right. I like George. <laughs> I had no problems at all with, uh, with George Burnett. George, George was just like, look, it's a personality de- demeanor. You know, we were talking about that earlier in, in the show. Some people are just, they're just different in terms of their approach and their structure. Um, I, I'll tell you one time, I was working radio in the first year. George signed a five-year deal with, deal with the Jennies. I was on the bus traveling with the team doing the road games uh, back in the, those days. And I remember one night on the bus, and as I was leaving, George says, hey, I want to talk to you for a second. And, well, what is he, you know, what does he want? Blah, blah. And he asked me, he said, you're a guy, you've been around this market, this team franchise and everything. I really like your feedback here on what you think's going because the team was really struggling. He came in and a thought, well, that's why he got the job in the first place. It was a rebuild. And he thought enough of me to really seriously solicit my opinion. And that runs counter to what a lot of people think about George Burnett. Ah, George thinks he, you know, comes across as maybe aloof and kind of the guys you can't talk to. I always found him terrific, terrific to talk to. And you look at his resume and his career as a, as a coach, it's really one of the best in OHL history. It really is when you add up all the stops and all the wins and, and everything else. So no, I, I never, I never had any uh, real difficulties with, uh, any coach, I guess the, the biggest character, though, was it wasn't George Burnett. It was Bill Stewart. It was Bill Stewart. He, um, he was something else. He was something else. And we, I don't think there's anybody who covered a team that Bill Stewart was coaching that didn't have a run-in with Bill Stewart. I remember one night he was, he was ready to have a, 
a long discussion with me regarding a piece I had written in the Oshawa newspaper, and uh, he could be pretty intimidating. But no, George Burnett, never a problem. Like him very much. And I still like Bill Stewart. I still so see Bill from time to time. Uh, in the early days of Belleville, he was kind of doing some scouting. I don't know who for, but he was, you know, on the peripheral hanging around in hockey. We had a great conversation. Like a lot of guys, guys, once they're out of the arena and you're not dealing with them on a day-to-day basis about the job and you're just dealing with them as a person, they're great people. It's just when you say or write something about it, And listen, I can tell you as a beak, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but as a, I was a beat reporter at Oshawa this week for nine years, two years of the Oshawa Times, and I covered the team. And when I was doing radio, I was not working for the team. I was covering the team. And I'm an old school guy. And Chris knows this is the time as I I taught this way. If you're not, if the people you're covering aren't mad at you, at least once or twice a year, you better have a look at what you're doing because you're not doing your job. You must be doing commercial because they're going to say, you're going to say things you don't Three-hour radio broadcast, 68 games a year? Of course you're going to say something at some... And by the way, half of it, as we all know, is really nothing. It's just fair comment. So that's never bothered me. You know, and that's, you talk about another thing, the memories, the people. My goodness. Rick Kornacki and Bill Stewart and George Burnett and Dave Cameron, who remains such a great friend. And my goodness, there have been some great people coaching this league. Were there any of those times, because... When, when you're reflecting on that, Raj, and I, I would tend to agree, but I remember the time I really uh, rubbed a general manager the wrong way with my criticism of a trade that he had made or my, my analysis of the trade. I, I can still feel the sting, to be honest with you. Good. Yeah. But was it ever in the back of your mind? Did you ever have any of those, one of those, you know, blow ups or, or face to face conversations after the piece was written, after the broadcast was done that made you think, oh boy, think twice the next time? Yeah, I did, but no, I never thought. Uh, I, Mike, I guess we're all different in terms of like we talked about George Burnett and his personality. My mentality has always been: I don't take anything personal. I guess it's twenty-nine years of radio at the fan, thirtieth year this year at the fan, and you were involved in the station a lot of years. And you take phone calls and you get criticism. Look, you know, guys, what do we do for a living? For the most part, we sit and we criticize. So <laughs> we can't take criticism. Like I, 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 that's the definition of a bully: somebody who dishes it out but can't take it. So anybody that wants to come back at me and criticize after I'm saying, man, I tell you, I don't like that deal. And uh, this team is not very well coached in my books. And this guy's not hustling in the corner and he's not playing and blah, blah, blah. It's like, and they're going to come back and say something to me and I'm going to power or change about it. It's that's the job. It's part and parcel of it. It's never bothered me. I've had cool relationships with, with some people as a result of that. Never nothing detrimental, nothing, no, no great story. There are obviously some GMs and coaches over the years. You're in the game of 20 years. I covered the league on a regular basis, like 20 seasons. I was doing OHL games in some capacity. Of course, you're never going to please everybody. But if you're pleasing everybody, I'm not the PR guy. I'm the reporter. I'm the broadcaster. And I guess the, I guess the thin's, my skin's thick after all these years. I, and I respect the guy. I don't expect him to like it. My goodness, you know, like somebody... Let's face it, when we hear criticism, I can't speak for you guys, when we hear criticism, it doesn't your back get up when somebody says, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. That broadcast is terrible. Well, you guys never heard it. You're great, but I heard it all the time. Well, that guy's yeah, terrible. Okay. Who 
doing on the air? Like you open up your email box at the fan and go, what are you doing on the air? The first thing you see in the morning, like, yeah, good morning to you too, buddy. It's, but, but then I stop and I realize it's like, we're giving comments, we're giving criticism. How can I now not accept anybody's cry? I don't have to agree with it. I don't have to like it. It's never particularly bothered me. And no, no, I, I don't hedge it. Same side though, guys. And Chris knows this from, from my teaching. I'm, I'm a very, hey, I'm always talking about people. And we're talking about, you know, mental health issues and how people take criticism there. So I always hedge. I always leave it back and I never make it personal about a person. And I've always said it's the same thing because people, when we're on the fan, we get a stupid caller and people go, how can you not like explode or get mad at that caller? And I said, you can criticize the call without criticizing the caller. And that's how I have approached my business. And that's how I do it with managers or whatever. So it's like, if I say the team stinks, I don't expect them to like it. And I'll sit there and nine times out of 10, the guy will have a beer with you. After. By the way, Bill Stewart had a beer with me after, after one of those just, and goes reaches down the fridge. <laughs> next, next topic. In my case, it was the, the wife of the general manager who suggested that he apologized. <laughs> so we, we worked it out later on. But that's anyway, good. that's all the story. Yeah. That's all, when in doubt, find another reasonable person next to them and say, come on. Come on. That's guys. right. That's well, my right. guy heard you for years. You're a fair commentator. It's like, so whatever it was, is like, what do you, they're, they're, you got to call it what it is. You know what? I, I, I always looked at it, guys, when, you know, you're covering a game and you're doing the broadcast. And again, you don't want to hurt people. You want to be respectful of people. It's people and everything else end of the day, if all you're doing is sugarcoating, you know, I always got the fact, and you guys will appreciate it, so let's say someone's leaving the game with five minutes to play, and he's listening to the game on the radio, and you guys are doing it, and you're driving like this, and that guy's going, what game is this guy watching? You guys are terrible tonight. What's he talking about? People know. They can sense phonyism. They can sense that you know, hockey fans are, well, hockey fans are smart. We think we're, we're smart about hockey. But a lot of people who watch hockey games a lot of people in them watching OHL games have been coaching minor hockey for 30 years. Some of them played pro. These guys, this is, a, this is a pretty good opinion they've got, too. So if I'm, that's why I can't just sugarcoat it. So that's, that's the fine line you walk as a broadcaster. But I've, I've never had an issue with that, you know. And I think people, and I think, Mike, for the most part, I'm sure it's, and for you too, Chris, I'm sure, people re- learn to respect you when you do your job professionally. If you do it professionally, even if they don't like it, and even if they get mad, eventually they'll get over it because they realize you're just doing just doing their job. Mike, I was having a good chuckle. The amount of times I've heard Raj say, you can criticize the call, don't criticize the caller <laughs> in two years. Holy, that was a flashback. Uh, Raj, you, you mentioned his name already. Eugene. The repetition, he remembered to listen. <clears throat> right? Repeat it. Repeat it. Okay. The- oh, sorry. There were a few other lessons, but I can't repeat them on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned your, uh, your relationship with Eugene Melnick and his time of owning Mississauga. Where did that relationship come from? That's a great question. Um, so I am working at the CHL office. I was taught properly. Thanks, Roger. Yeah, 2001. Well done. 2001. And uh, remember, David Branch came down the hall. He said, oh, wait, you got a second? I said, yeah, what's up? And he goes, um, so the majors have been sold. The Brazilian fathers have had it. Gentlemen's just bought the team. Uh, I told him, you work here, and you're the play-by-play broadcaster. He just wanted to say hello. Sure, yeah, that'd be great. So 
So I went into Dave's office and on the speakerphone was Eugene Melnick calling from his private plane, uh, la-di-da. And uh, so I'm going, oh, yeah, well, Mr. Melnick goes, yeah. Blah, blah. He said, well, you know, yeah. So you, what do you do? And I said, well, we, we do a webcast. And in 2001, a webcast isn't like this. A webcast is like, oh, my God, a webcast. Um, so we, we were doing audio webcast back in 2001. And he said, and they're on Rogers TV. He said, yeah, but just cable here. He said, well, I want to get that in Barbados. I said, well, you don't even get it in, in Ontario if, you don't, if you're not a Rogers cable subscriber, Mr. Melnick. I visited Barbados later that year, and the Majors game was on TV at Burt's Bar in the Barbados. <laughs> so that's where the relationship um, started. I met him in my role as a broadcaster for the Toronto St. Michael's Majors, the team that he had just purchased. We became friends. Um, I've worked for him many times as a consultant in a variety of ways. He paid me to be the team's broadcaster for many years. In 2011 and 12, I was the executive vice president of the Mississauga St. Michael's Majors. I helped broker the sale of the team to Elliot Kerr that became the Steelhead. So I ran the team that year for him. For two and a half years, I was the vice president in Belleville, uh, working for Mr. Melnick as he owns the team obviously. And now I'm back in Ottawa as a director of marketing of the Ottawa centers and actually living here in uh, Ottawa most of the time now. So I got kind of the hat trick courtesy of Mr. Melnick and thank you, uh, Eugene, of, of working in the OHL, the AHL and the NHL in, in, in the front office and not hockey front office, but in the administrative part of it. So how lucky have I been to see the, the game of hockey as a, a broadcaster, a writer, a reporter, and also on this side and that, guys, I think has helped me really understand the business of hockey and really understand. And that's why, I guess, I don't know what people who are watching this might think of the answer I gave about the GTA and Toronto and what have you being a lot different than a lot of other people. Because I know the people very well who own and run these franchises. And trust me, this is a labor of love, boys. This is a tough business. And Eugene spent... 10 years running the majors until finally we convinced him to sell and he'd had enough and he'd lost millions of dollars on it. And he was a great owner and they were successful and um, God bless him. He did a heck of a lot to make it go. He couldn't make it work. Elliot's keeping it going. So hoping Elliot finds an answer, but he's had it now 10 years. You guys tell me how, how good that's going and uh, same old story, but I met him through, being the broadcaster of the Toronto St. Michael's Majors, and he happened to buy the team. And boy, I tell you, 20 years now, 21 years, I've known him. What a wonderful guy he's been to me and my family. And I, I got memories and stories. Make that Sault Ste. Marie story sound like it's nothing, I'll tell you. But we're not talking about that on an OHL Stories podcast. Okay, but while we're on uh, the subjects of some of the names, uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the name Jack Dominico, who I know, of course, you would know well through the Intercounty Baseball League, and he was a great friend to the Ontario Hockey League, prominent figure in the sporting scene in the greater Toronto area, of course, and we just recently lost him. What are your memories of Jack? Well, I was one of a kind, too. I, was, uh, I spent 35 seasons as the uh, gay announcer and statistician of uh, the ballpark, uh, 30 of those with Jack and Lynn Dominico. Full credit to Jack, and he's getting all the kudos uh, that he deserves. And he, you, you talk about it. And I, I really fear now for the future of that franchise in Toronto, because I don't know who can possibly do what Jack did for all those years, but his late wife, Lynn was an absolute saint and was Jack's rock uh, a thousand percent. 
they they were they were the ultimate couple, the baseball uh, power couple, couple, and she's quite often forgotten just because of Jack's you know overbearing uh, personality. But he was a great great, not just a friend of the OHL, he was a supporter. He sold advertising for for the league. He helped the league financially. He was a great fan of the game. He was around all the time. People like that, um, you know, when when they pass, uh, Chris and and Mike, we, we can. It sounds like a cliche. We won't see their likes again. There aren't going to be people like like Jack Dominico anymore. There aren't going to be people like, uh, and, and he's still alive and healthy. Don't get me wrong, but like Sherry Bassin, who we just discussed. They're, just, they're unique. They're different. They're they're bombastic. They're you just you can't even describe. Them. Hey, who's like Sherry Bassin? No one. Yeah, one of kind, right there. Let's not yeah. take let's not take too much time because there's no comparables. There was no <laughs> other Jack. There was one and only. Uh, Jack Dominico. So may uh, may he rest in peace. But I, I say this with full respect to to Jack and everybody else. I just want to reiterate again. People talked about his ability and everything he did. He ran that team for fifty three years, which was amazing. And in my time there, and I still to the day wear my championship ring. Uh, seven seven championship teams I was involved with in my thirty five years there. Nice ring they had made for me. Uh, and I left, and I still wear it to the day, even though I haven't been involved with the team since 2013. But his w- wife, Lynn, passed away in 2008. The Toronto Maple Leafs won 19 pennants and eight championships in Jack's 53-year reign, but none since Lynn passed away. And I don't say that to diminish anybody, but that's how important Lynn was in the Jack and Lynn Dominico story that was the inter-county baseball uh, in Toronto. But... Uh, Rest his soul. He was one of a kind. We'll never see another Jack Dominico for sure, and we'll never see another Lynn Dominico either. I don't. I don't know how to follow that up. That was wow. What a. Um, I I do want to follow it up though with a question about somebody who is unique in the sense that when we had him on the podcast a couple times, we didn't get many people telling us any stories about David Branch because this guy has kept a vault around him. It seems like one of the best commissioners in all of sport. But when you look back at your time with Mr. David branch, what do you think about? Well, I, I talked about him earlier, you know, that's an interesting way you phrase that because um, I'm sure there aren't a lot of great David branch. stories. Because David branch is, is the ultimate politician. He is the, the ultimate business guy. He, he is a great hockey guy. I'll say this for, for David, is that, and, and this isn't telling a story, but this may be a little bit of insight. So when I was with the Toronto Marlboros in the early 80s, I met David Branch for the first time in 1982. I was the business manager of the Marlies, and I used to go to the OHL Board of Governors meetings from time to time when Frank Vanello couldn't go, the general manager. So I was the alternate governor. They didn't call me that. They just Frank would call me and say, hey, I can't go to the meeting. You go to the meeting. So I guess that made me the alternate governor. Now I'd be the alternate governor. So... Um, and then, of course, during the time with the majors that year, I went to all the meetings that year, and David and I had a lot of conversations about the sale of the team and what was going on and leading up to the Memorial Cup. And I worked in his office for two years. But I don't have a story, but I have an observation. Is that I'm sure you guys are aware that, you know, and I'm sure that it's still true to date, anything David Branch brings to the Board of Governors is passed. Always. Always. And people go, that's really an amazing, an amazing tribute. It's amazing. How does he do that? And my insight and my observation is the reason it always is, is he doesn't bring it unless it's going to pass. And I don't mean that as an insult, 
or any kind of like, you know, what do you mean by that? I just mean he is so in tune to the business and the needs of his ownership that it's almost like he's uh testing the waters and going back and forth, blah, blah. And the presentation comes when he has talked to everybody and has the information and does it. That's just a smart man. He is a brilliant manager of people. He is a brilliant manager of people. And I know fans look at it, and and this is another thing, you know a guy's successful, because every team's fan base can't stand him because he thinks he hates their team. And that is the same thing, guys, is the analogy. That's how you can tell a great national broadcaster. Because I've worked, I've, part of my OHL broadcasting, where I had the opportunity to do 11 games on Sportsnet, uh, CHL games of the week. I worked with Rob Falls, Peter Labardius, just absolutely fantastic uh, experience. Loved it over a three, four-year period. Just as usual, I was a fill-in guy like I am at the fan. But regardless, I loved it. But when you start dealing with national people, and when I worked on the fan, as, as Mike knows, Back in the day, we had uh, people like um, James Duffy and uh, national broadcasters uh, do the shows with us. RJ Broadhead. We had, over the years, we had all kinds. But the difference with a national broadcaster and the same thing, a, a national play-by-play guy, guy like the Paul Romanek used to be, and Bob Cole. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of a guy. The, unless you're a legend like a Bob Cole, every team's fan base hates those guys. You know why? Because they think they're against their team. You know why? Because they listen to the home broadcast, and then the odd time that their team is on the national broadcast, the national broadcaster is calling the damn game the way it is. And the fan is so used to getting the spin of the home team, and I don't just mean positivity, but focus. You guys are talking about the Rangers. You're talking about your team. I did that in Oshawa, Minnesota. We're not. We're, we're covering the game, but it's all based and run on the team. And then the fan... The fan sitting at home gets a national broadcast and goes, that guy doesn't care about us. He doesn't care about us. That's the same thing with Dave Brandt. Oh, I'm sure people in Kitchener are going, Dave, that guy doesn't know. We don't have Roger Lujan on that show anymore. Dave Brandt, he's terrible. He's out to get the Kitchener Rangers. And they say that in London, and they say that in Sudbury, and they say that in Sault Ste. There is not one fan base that doesn't think Dave Branch is out to get their guy. And I will say one thing. You ask for a story, I'm going to give you one. I'll give you one. I'm working at the CHL office 2002. A suspension is coming up. It's a big one. And Dave is doing it. People wonder what the process is. I don't know what the process is now. But the process was Dave goes into his office, looks at the tape, and blah, 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 blah. And then for the big ones, he would call us in. I don't know if he still does. Take a look at this. Somebody leaving the feet, headshot, whatever. Doesn't say a word. What do you think? How many games? Now that, of course, is something people don't have the right to do. All the critics out there, right, when they criticize the suspension, yeah, but they don't give their own number beforehand. They just wait till the number comes out, and they say it's ridiculous, whatever it is. No, I'm telling you, what is it? He goes around the room, and he, he asked us all that were working in the office for our opinion, our rationale, what did you think? Because he respected our opinion, but he just wanted to work it through, when did the day he goes around the room? He goes around the room. He collects all the information. That's great. Yak, yak, yak. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, okay. And he said, by the way, um, I have made my decision. It's X amount of games. And I recall one discussion in particular. I think it was a real harsh one. 
I think he was giving them 12 and I said 10 and everybody in the room was three and five. So I'm going, well, I guess I agree with Dave Branch. And he goes, but 12, and I go, and I said, Dave, that's, you know, it's good to get our opinion, you respect all that's good. And then, so I was director of communications for the league, CHL, not OHL. I said, when do you think this is going to get announced so I can put it out? He said, oh, I'm going to take my time. And I said, yeah, but you already made your decision. He said, that's part of the punishment. Let him think about it. What's the hurry? They're not playing for two days. And I even see now people are going, when are they going to make a decision? And it's not fair to the guys and everything else. It's like, when are you going to make a decision? You can make a decision when I'm good and ready. And that's part and parcel of what the punishment is. And maybe you'll think about it next time. And by the way, I don't agree with everything that Dave Branch has done in terms of suspension and everything else. But man, he's been years ahead of the years ahead of the NHL in terms of not being afraid to, to make a suspension. You can say what you want about Dave Branch, but boy, he's got a set of you-know-whats. The criticism that guy takes, and he knows it's coming. You can take the easy way. Don't give him 20 games. Give everybody three, like the NHL does. Maybe two. <laughs> Find them $7,500. Find a guy $7,500 who makes $8 million a year. Yeah, that's really going to be interesting. Oh, and tell him right away so he can't uh, let him sit. And he sat on it another two days, and then, and then they announced it. So, um, brilliant, brilliant guy. By the way, that's who, who do you think replaces Dave Branch? And I don't want to start getting into particulars or politics or names, individual, but you talk about a guy who might be pretty close to irreplaceable, at least in terms of what we see today. And I wouldn't want to be the guy that follows David Branch. It would be the equivalent of uh, trying to follow a guy who's in the morning radio show for, well, Farwell did a fabulous job following the but what a, yeah, you know it though. What a challenge. Same Scary as hell. Is. Scary as hell. Same yeah. Type of challenge awaits the guy who follows Dave Branch. Good luck. Yeah. Wise man Good once luck. said you never want to be the guy that follows the guy. You want to be the guy that follows the guy who follows the guy. Absolutely. Well, we've seen that, seen that in the media a thousand times. Yeah. hundred so, percent. Uh before Chris gets to his inevitable just one more question part of the podcast. Uh I'm curious about the numbers, Raj. Like when we started here. You, you listed off by account of the number of broadcasts on the fan, number of major sporting events, OHL games, et cetera. Why? Where does that come from? What gets measured gets done. So when I started my career, first of all, for a guy like me, my career is so scattered. Like, you know, for guys like yourself, especially Mike and Don Cameron and guys like that, you're associated with a franchise, a job, a station. I'm not. So to me, and I don't know, maybe it's just, a, I'm not trying to justify myself, but it's like, I like to see what I've done. I'm a sports guy. Why do I love sports? Because it's wins, losses. It's the ultimate business. It's great. You either win or you lose, or you have something to talk about. End of the day, it's like, everyone says, oh, they're not as good as their record. BS or not. Everybody's, what do you mean they're not as good as their record? Their record is their record. Well, they had great goaltending or their pitching was right. That doesn't make any difference. You either win or you lose. So it's sports is numbers, it's stats. So I started counting. The fan was easy because the fan, I've never been, a lot of people don't know this, but I've never been a full-time employee of Rogers. I'm a freelancer. So I, I, I invoice every show. So I think it was about 15 years ago. I've been there 29 years, two months now, about 15 go back and do a count because I had, didn't have an exact number and I was able to get 
an exact count. Just, it was simple, just an accounting thing, and I, and I still do it. Um, but I do it with everything. I have read 2,149 books. I have a book collection, a library in my home. I've read 2,149 books. I've been, I did 1,250 junior hockey games. I have done 3,761 shows on the fan. I've been at 259 major sporting events. I'm a numbers guy. And I think it's a way of measuring what you've done. And it became goals for me. In fact, some of them I tied into it. I talk about it. I left junior hockey because I knew it was 1,250 games, plus I did 250 TV shows based on the OHL. So that's 1,500 over 20 years. And I stopped at the exact number. And I intend to stop a few other things at the exact number, although I'm not going to stop anything anytime soon. I just, why do guys do stats in sports? Um, what gets measured gets done. So that's how I look at it. That's how I know. And um, I guess one of the things that people are kind of, so I, I journal, guys. I, I do a journal every night. Uh, it takes about 10 minutes, half a page on a sheet of paper like that. Okay, And I just... Put some thoughts down. A lot of people do that. You're familiar with it if you guys don't do it. But, you know, you've heard of that, right? So, you know, people go, wow, that's that's quite something. Here's the wow factor. I haven't missed a day in 35 years. And they're all in my bookcase at home. So, um, creature of habit, wanting to know the numbers, whether it's good or bad is irrelevant, but that's the way I've always done it. So, yeah, I can tell you pretty much the number of, uh, number of everything. And uh, that's why. I was going to ask about teammates, this new consulting thing you got going on in podcast with a couple of good friends who I both, I think should be on this podcast at some point. Maybe we could find a guy who can hook us up. Oh, you got to have Chris DePiro and you want, oh, how can you have not had Chris DePiro and Jim Rooney on your show yet? That is because we want, we wanted to have the Raj on first. That's true. Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Um, All follows now. But just, just after that note, because this is a little consulting, I got a Belgian moon ready for you <laughs> because ah, anybody who follows the Raj on Facebook or social media knows that uh, the white ales that he likes at the keg and elsewhere are a and staple really for his consulting. It's really fine. It's tough to find this year. I know. I know. There's, so my question, good for you, man. After <laughs> all of, after all of those, uh, those quotes you just dropped on us, what's measured gets done and so on and so forth. Two years as my instructor, I know you love your quotes. So I, I just curious, have you ever been on vacation? I've been to Maui four times. I've been to uh, Ve- I go to Ve- I've been to Vegas maybe twenty times. I've been through uh, Sweden, London. And I travel all the time. Take vacations all the time. That was my way of trying to get you that's, to say that's my favorite another thing quote. With people, but that's another thing where people get it. Versus and Mike, it's like even Mike says, "Oh, you're so busy." It's like here's the here's the dark secret especially as you get further down the road, is like, it's, it's not as busy as it appears. Like, people look at it, how do you have time still to do Fan 590 shows? Fan 590 shows, three hours. Like, I'm, I'm by osmosis following sports, studying sports, so my prep time is okay, three hours and ten minutes. Maybe ten minutes before the show, i got to check in with the producer and know, see who the guests are or whatever. And I'm not trying to belittle it, I'm just saying, it's like, you make time for everything, Chris, in, in, in life. And the quotes, my vocation is my vacation. I think you should live for 50 weeks a year, uh, not for two. 
I think you should live for the five days, seven days a week, and not just the weekend. Uh, we get in a habit of doing that. And once you really love what you do, you, you don't. But to answer your question, I love traveling. Wife and I have been to Sweden, uh, London, Barbados, well, Barbados, Mr. Melnick. But that, that, hey, just because it's a free trip doesn't mean it's not a trip. That's um, a trip. That's a trip. Yeah. Um, been to Vegas many times. Maui is our favorite spot. We've been there four times. We were going to go just before COVID again, but here's hoping maybe we can do that in the in the next year. But um, no, the the work is is when you're blessed as I am, it's it's the same thing. It's and even now at this stage of the game and career, I'm I'm here for you know my my experience and to help mentor young staff and to help any way I can. They really basically let me do whatever I want and come and go whenever I want. And despite that. I'm pretty close to being the first person there and the last person I'll leave because I love it. Um, you talk about stories. I'll share a very personal story with you. Um, Mike, you would know him. Jim Kelly from the Buffalo News. Great reporter for many years on Sportsnet 5 the fan. And Pope, I'm sure you've heard of him. Uh, he, um, he was a terrific, terrific guy. And near the end of his life, he had cancer and um, he left the – primetime sports and he was no longer involved, but he was still working. And my producer called and said, Jim wants to come on your show tomorrow. Talk about him. And he goes, well, I, I don't know. Like I, the producer wasn't aware of this. So I said, he's, I said, but listen, if he's calling and asking to come, let's bring him. And I sort of thought, well, maybe he wanted to do a retrospect or no, he wanted to do a retrospect. Nothing came on. It was a particular issue. He gave a terrific 15-minute interview. I thanked him. He thanked me. No mention of the personal stuff or anything else. One week later, I was told, he filed a story for the Buffalo News at 7 p.m. He went home to bed and he died. What do you want to do? He just worked until... And people sometimes have a hard time grasping and understanding how much you really do love your work that, well, you know, your time's near, well, you want to go on vacation or lie on a beach or your family just want to keep going. I feel the same way, but I do still take vacations. And I know Jim did too. And plus like me, uh, like Jim, I've had a lot of travel by osmosis guys, you know, covering all these major sporting events. I've had a chance to, and I go quite often. I've taken my wife and we made a vacation out of it, but I managed getting emotional thinking about that Jim Kelly story because oh, you got I me too. That's shivers. Wow. I'm mean, just thinking is like, that's the way to go. Right. Go to bed after another good day's work and, and then don't wake up. So I don't know how much longer we have, but I, I, I was suspecting you guys were going to ask me for my favorite story. The OHL. Do you want, do we still have time for that? Cause I want to get this. Always. We got all time in the world. Okay. So um, this is my favorite OHL story all time because it involves a lot of elements. So it is the 2011-12 season. I am the executive vice president of the Mississauga St. Michael's Majors, but I freaking love doing play-by-play on Rogers TV too much. I refuse to give it up to young upstart students like Chris Pope and these other folks. So I'm still doing the play-by-play, even though I'm the executive vice president. And during the intermissions, I'm even going down. I'm sometimes dealing with stuff, but I want to do it. But quite often, I had a College of Sports Media uh, student doing color with me. And one night, I had a CSM student doing color with me for this particular game, this season. And uh, so we're doing the game. I'm doing the play-by-play. And there's a ruckus in the press box. 
people are kind of turning around and you guys are like me, I'm kind of focused on the game, but so much noise I can, so I kind of turn around and I go, uh, I'm hearing this hammer. That's the mayor of Mississauga. He's a McCallion. And I guess a story had appeared in the Mississauga paper that day with some comments from me in my role as executive vice president, uh, just questioning the whole situation of why junior hockey Mississauga. And, the, and there was something I thought it was quite fair, but she didn't like it. So she was coming to talk to me. And even though she was told by Newman, no, Roger's still doing the broadcast. Oh, I'm not close. Listening to this, so I ignore her. I ignore her. I'm doing the play-by-play, and I'm hearing this in the background. She goes to sh- to the student who's next to me and starts yammering at him about so finally whistle appropriate little stoppage in play. The truck knows what's going on, so I think they went to a spot or something. Whatever they did, they turn around. I told you I would talk to you, but do it during the interview. I gotta talk to you about it. So anyway, the play is still going on. This CSM guy, I think, doing his second or third game as color, has to do play-by-play with no notice for about two, three minutes. While I calmed down the mayor of Mississauga, composed myself, put my headphones back, and I slapped him on the shoulder, and I go, good job, guy. Well done. And then during the intermission, I walk over, and Hazel just tore a complete strip out of me in the press box. Best part of the story, the color guy was Sean McKenzie of sports. You know what? He might Things might work out for him. I don't know for sure. They I, might. Think, I think he's got a career coming. He told that story on Hockey Night in Canada. I still have the clip. Still have the clip. He mentioned that once because they were talking about play-by-play. Wherever the discussion came up, and Sean was a ringside reporter, and he just said, yeah, the only play-by-play I ever had to do was in Mississauga when Hazel McCallion came up and Roger Lajoie had to talk to him, and I was terrified beyond belief. I don't know why that story. I, I will never, of all the stuff I've seen, and then afterwards, after I saw that, how Sean handled it, I realize so there's my teaching, there's my ex- executive hockey stuff, there's my play by play, and my ability to handle a crisis all in one moment. A lot of great years in the OHL. It's absolutely fantastic. I, I mean, of course, we knew this would fly by and you'd have so many great stories. And I wish it wasn't over Zoom, but damn, is it good to see you again, Roger? And I can't wait to do it in person. I cannot wait either, guys. Um, Chris, thank you for the, the Belgian moon uh, tribute there. Enjoy it. I'm going to pour one uh, any minute. Trust me. I should have brought one on. I sometimes do that, but uh, I figured I wouldn't. But you brought it. You started it. So now I'll go and, and get one. Uh, I, I just wish everybody out there nothing but the best. I want to give my best salutations, best wishes to everybody involved on the administrative side of OHL hockey and, and broadcasters like yourself, but especially the people who have had to pay the bills in the OHL for as long as they have, who have run the business as a labor of love for many, 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 many years and are facing now uh, the greatest challenge of their business time. Um, all I can say to them is hang in, better days ahead. The comeback will be greater than the setback. Let's just hang in there. We're hurting here. 
There's a lot of people suffering. Zoom isn't the greatest, but it's better than nothing. And when we have fans back, I would love you guys, if you've got time, I know you're busy in the hockey season, come down to Ottawa, be a guest at my games, and uh, we, can, we, can have a, we can have a Belgian moon at uh, Burt's because uh, they serve it uh, here in, uh, in this Canadian Tire Centre when fans are allowed in the building. Perfect. We better be soon. <laughs> we, would, boys, we would love to be there. Love to see lo- you here. We'd love to be there. Five books already, Raj. Looking forward to the sixth. I tried to bring out my Jimmy D book, but I can't find it. I think I lent it to a buddy. <laughs> One of my favorite reads. As long as it's in good hands, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Much, much appreciated, guys. Continued great success. Mike, you know, you know, we've known each other. You did such great work at the fan. I've been a big fan of your work for so long. You're, you're, a, you're, a, you're, you're what I'm not. You're, a, you're, an, you're an icon in your community. You mean so much to Kitchener. I'm not just saying that. Spread. People know that. Everybody knows that. Your your presence on social media, all the stuff that you've you've done for the community, your your career is is second to none. And Chris, I'm I'm very proud of you. I, it's great to see you still involved. I know you do other things in addition uh, to to being a broadcaster now. But you know what? So did I. It's all. It's the long run. It's the big picture. Your best years are still ahead of you. You have so much to look forward to. So so keep hammering it. Keep looking for it. And, and stay safe and well in the meantime, because uh, we need to encourage each other now more than ever before. And you mentioned our, our teammates work briefly, Chris. That's what we try to do is we, we got to pump each other up here. It's, it's a tough time. It's, it's really a tough time. But I've always been a believer, you know, that there are there's no such thing as a, a bad. There's no such thing as a bad event. Events are neutral. What's good or bad is our opinion. Good or bad is an opinion. And as bad as COVID has been, and I'll say it, sounds like I'm being a real ass, but, saying it. but in a lot of ways, COVID's the best thing that ever happened to me. I got to Ottawa because of COVID, because people, they were in a mess. They needed someone with experience. They wanted me. I, I never envisioned this happening, so I benefited from it. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm not saying it to be a jerk, but I'm just saying it as the event itself is neutral. I know a lot of, I wrote, I wrote two books during, during COVID. I, I know some people have reconnected with their families during uh, COVID. It, it's made us stronger. It's made us better. We'll be better people. The other, other side of this, I'm convinced of that all of us. And so my best wishes to you guys. And yes, and man, the fact that empty arena in Kitchener has got to be just as bad as it is in Ottawa, but um, hey, better days on the way. Here's hoping for good news end of the week. And, and, uh, Return. I, I'm I'm very hopeful. Spring, summer. We put this behind us, and I'll go have a patio beer. Who's for that? We're in. <laughs> Day, hey, Raj. Days are long. Years are short. All the best, you and Rita and the family. Hey, thank you. Oh, listen. I must have had a, somebody must have taken notes for him or taped <laughs> my lecture because he remembered all my wine. <laughs> The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. 
Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.